Hello, and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today, I'm joined by guest Will Bachman, who's the co-founder of Umbrex. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. It is great to be here. For folks who haven't come across you in the past, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm a McKinsey alum. I left the firm in 2008 to start my own independent consulting practice. So I've been an independent consultant for 12 years. And I'm also the co-founder of Umbrex, which is a global community that connects top-tier independent management consultants with one another. Uh, we, we work to create opportunities for our members to uh, build relationships with one another, share lessons learned, and find opportunities to collaborate. Excellent. What Was there a sort of a, a forcing factor that caused you to put that together? Yes, there was. So when I left McKinsey after five years to start my own practice, I knew something about how to be a consultant but I didn't really know the first thing about how to run a consulting practice. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you write a statement of work? How do you write a proposal? Where do I get health insurance? <laughs> right. How do I, uh, you know, get IT security? All these things, you know, bookkeeping, accounting, taxes. As an independent professional, there's a lot to um, get up to speed on. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be valuable to connect with people that were more experienced than me. And uh, so it was really to solve my own need of finding people to connect with to give me advice. And I was spurred on by a book that I read at the time by Seth Godin, one of my heroes, mm-hmm. called Tribes, that talked about building and organizing your tribe. So that was also a big impetus behind the idea. Excellent. And when was that again? So I started connecting with other independent management consultants right when I got started in 2008. Mm-hmm. And for a number of years, I did that informally. I uh, started organizing in-person events and professional development events for this loose community. And then uh, a core group you know, evolved over time and kept growing. Uh, finally, in 2015, together with Jing Lang and Margarita Soto, I uh, founded Umbrex as, you know, as an LLC, but it really grew out of that community building that started uh, in 2008. Great. That's so fabulous. Yeah. I'm also a big Seth Godin fan. So connect the others, right? Um, okay. And, and what have you found that has come out of that? Is it, I'm curious how much of it is a, a sort of professional support, you know, like you, you listed up the things like all the things that go into running your business that perhaps were not something that you had to do when you're inside of a bigger agency or bigger uh, company. Um, now all of a sudden you're thrown out on your own and you're like, oh, wow, there is a whole bunch of stuff to do here that I need to do. In addition to the thing that I'm actually good at, uh, here are this whole list of things that I have no experience with. Maybe I can figure out, but that doesn't sound like very much fun. Um, so is it kind of, is it, would you say it's primarily that kind of support or does it get into, uh, actual project collaboration? You know, like do people connect with each other to say, Hey, you know, I've got this client, uh, I it's too much work for me to handle on my own, that sort of thing. Does it, does it get to that level or is it more the meta level of just how to run the business? Well, it's really both, Jonathan. Uh, as Umbrex, we organize over 40 in-person events every year for members around the world. Uh, I go to a lot of those. Uh, we organize three major professional development events, two-day events, uh, typically West Coast of the U.S., East Coast, one in Europe. Um, we have an online forum, and through those uh, various mechanisms, I've heard dozens and dozens of stories of members who have connected at one of those events uh, and then gone on to collaborate on a project together. And those are just the ones that I've heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We also, uh, we don't charge members. Our business model uh, that evolved over time to kind of support all this work we were doing is clients who are looking for an independent consultant. We help them avoid that search cost by finding the right member of our community since we've built relationships with the members and we know them, we can quickly find the right member of the community. And when we do that, we invoice the person through Umbrex. We add a modest margin, which helps cover our operating expenses. Uh, so I think what I'd say is for anyone listening who of your show who is you know working as a, whether they call them a solo art, soloist or a freelancer or an independent professional or independent consultant, if you're working as an independent, I think it's so important to um, join a tribe or help build one if you don't see one and uh, build community and look for other people to collaborate. I've seen so many success stories of people who found someone with related skills. And it might be the case that you're serving a client and you're able to bring in that uh, other uh, expertise that your client needs or the other person might bring you in, but there's so much opportunity to create value by uh, looking for uh, looking for opportunities to collaborate. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that plenty of times in my own uh, my own experience, even outside of um, what I would you know management consulting, which seems like your focus. Um, all sorts of areas where there's no watering hole, there's no place for people to get support. Um, there, you know, things like freelancers union and and um, groups, I don't want to call them organizations, I guess it's an organization, but, you know, these sort of groups that kind of spin up to provide support for these, all this, this sort of, and eh, not quite gig economy, but these people who are now all work for themselves, it feels like there are more people than ever working for themselves, although I don't really know the statistics. It seems like a trend that will only increase where people are, you know, they don't have a uh, an employer, and they're like, geez, I don't really know what to do. Uh, with any of the, you know, with all of these things I need to do. And how do I, how do I just so not socialize, but you know, how do I, uh, where do I find my peer group? Where do I get that those sort of that kind of support? So can you tell me a little bit more about it? It sounds like you serve sort of a umbrella umbrex marketing function for, uh, for the consultants is how does that work? Do you do you actively sort of solicit clients or do you have some sort of intake or, you know, do you, are you kind of becoming a, uh, I, I keep trying to not say umbrella, but are you becoming like an umbrella brand for these indies? Well, part of, uh, uh, the sort of the origin of Umbrex is the, is the t- umbrella of excellence. So right. I, 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 and that's our logo as well. So to be clear, uh, we have over 800 members now who uh, primarily alums of McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and Booz. And uh, the vast majority at any one time are uh, running their own projects through their own firm. So the majority of folks are doing their own projects. Um, at any one time, some subset of folks may be doing working on a project that Umbrex you know, uh, sourced and generated. Um, how projects come to us, we've taken a slightly different approach. There are some other intermediaries out there that are working to connect clients to consultants. And a lot of them have invested in uh, large sales forces that are knocking on doors and cold calling clients. Uh, and look, I think that's fantastic. It's helped raise awareness that independent consultants are available. Uh, we've taken a different approach. Uh, we don't have a big sales force. We rely mainly on uh, referrals from people that we know, referrals from members. 
uh, often when members of the community have a project opportunity that maybe not a right fit for them, oh, okay. uh, they can share it with me. And then we'll, if we find the right person, you know, then we'd uh, share a part of the, you know, share, share part of our markup with that, with right. that individual who brought it in. Uh, so it kind of keeps it in the family that allows us to keep our overall uh, costs lower and allows us to keep our margins lower, which I think is good for both the uh, clients and the consultants. Mm, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it sounds nice and organic and natural. So what do you have? I'm curious about the experience that um, that you've had with around this sort of apocryphal story of, you know, a hotshot McKinsey consultant uh, gets dissatisfied for whatever reason, too much travel or who knows, whatever. And um, and they go out on their own and they have this expectation that they'll be able to command the same kind of rates that um, that they did while they were being built out by McKinsey or one of the others. Um, and, and they find that it's hard to, first of all, get, um, you know, a flow of leads coming in and that they perhaps don't have as much leverage at the sales table because they don't have this big trusted brand behind them. They're now they're kind of a soloist. Is that, is that, am I just making that up or is that a typical experience for one of your members? Yeah. Well, I'll start by asking you, Jonathan, Let's say that I had a copy. Let's say I had a painting um, that was looked identical pixel by pixel to the Mona Lisa, <laughs> right? It, and, you know, I, let's say I created it atom for atom, but it was not by Leonardo da Vinci. You know, I, I, I created it um, and it's perfectly aged. You know, a scientist couldn't tell the difference, but we both know it's not by Leonardo da Vinci. How much would you pay for that painting? Yeah, I mean, right. very you, little. Very little, right? So um, now the, the, the discount between working at McKinsey and working as an independent, even if it's the same exact person, there is a discount right. um, because when you're buying McKinsey, you're buying credibility that you can go to your board of directors and say, McKinsey said, you know, that we need to do this. Um, you're buying, uh, you know, access to McKinsey directors and so forth. Right. So you're, you're paying for a lot of overhead. And in some cases, hey, that's justified. In some cases, it makes sense. You know, maybe CEO actually needs that stamp of approval to get the decision and get the board on board. Um, but in other cases, they don't need all that overhead. They just need the person. So there is a bit of a discount. It's not as extreme as my Mona Lisa example. <laughs> um, you know, the discount would be more typically, you know, on the neighborhood of what McKinsey bills out might be something like around 50 or even 60% discount from the fee that McKinsey charges to the client. However, that even that rate is still more than the consultant was getting paid by McKinsey for that day. Sure. So typically, if you go out on your own, your your daily rate will typically be more than McKinsey was paying you as salary plus bonus, but it'll be a lot less than McKinsey was charging the client. Right, I understand. And that's why a lot of people are doing it because they actually earn more on a daily basis uh, and the client pays less. So it's kind of a win-win uh, mm -hmm. for those types of projects where a client wants, let's say, McKinsey caliber talent, but doesn't need all of the overhead. Right. Is is there? Do you notice a trend in the types of clients who are a good fit for an indie like that? I would. My my gut instinct is that there are certain companies, uh, probably on the larger side, who wouldn't even consider um, where money is really not an object, and they wouldn't consider taking the the perceived additional risk of hiring someone who doesn't have a deep bench. Is that is that supported by your experience at all or is that um, 
I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just curious what the trade-offs are being like in-house at McKinsey versus out on your own in the management consulting space. Yeah, well, I think what has happened, at least my observation, is that uh, it was sometime approximately around the year 2000, more or less, uh, when the number of McKinsey alums out in the universe exceeded the number of McKinsey consultants at the firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when, I, when I'm when i using McKinsey here, I sort of shorthand speak for uh, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and Booz, you know, top-tier consultants. Mm-hmm. So more and more, there are individuals at large companies who are former partners at McKinsey or former associate partners at McKinsey who are perfectly comfortable running a consulting you know, assignment. Uh, they're now executives and they're perfectly comfortable running assignments. So they don't need that uh, security blanket of having all of the overhead, the McKinsey partner, the director and all, and all that. Mm-hmm. So I would say there are some clients that are uh, maybe less likely to use independent consultants, usually not because of uh, they they feel they need a full team, but often it's more around um, uh, there may be some compliance issues that they're very concerned about. So you might see some you know very large banks uh, might be a little bit more reluctant to use independent consultants just because of all the compliance matter issues. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much about size. I mean, we we see independent consultants serving Fortune ten clients definitely. Um, and so with more and more kind of McKinsey alums, Bain alums, BCG alums out there in industry, they recognize that, look, if you're doing a operational transformation across 37 Caterpillar plants around the world, you probably <laughs> want to hire a global consulting firm. Right. But if you're doing a due diligence on a target, then an independent consultant is basically going to be able to do exactly the same thing as a engagement manager plus one team at McKinsey or Bain or BCG. You know, right. they can use expert networks to source experts, do 30 interviews, write it up. Uh, in some of those kinds of projects, the big firms don't really have that much of an advantage. Yeah, that's totally fair. Do you do you notice any trends around specialization with independent consultants? Do they have a tendency to uh, be less general than they might have been inside the firm? And uh, there's a huge assumption on my part there that they are kind of general inside the firm. I don't know if that's actually true, but um, I've certainly seen in in other spaces that specializing in your skill set or even perhaps niching down into a particular target market or a vertical that you want to serve uh, can have a positive effect on the number of leads you're generating. Yeah, well here, Jonathan, I'm going to give a mention for a book by a close friend of mine that I've given out over over 200 copies of this book, which is uh, the Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by David A. Fields. Yep, he's and been on the show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. Right. Great. So yeah. I w- love that book. I've given out you know lots of copies. Uh, David really recommends, and I I agree with this, that to really thrive as an independent, you need to define your fishing line, is what David calls it. Mm-hmm. Define w- what population you serve and what problems you work on. There's a real fear among just about everyone about you know making your target circle so small that you, mm-hmm. you feel that you're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. But what actually happens is as you get a more focused target, you're far more likely to win the opportunities that are in your sweet spot. Um, so uh, I think it's actually the case that at McKinsey, 
uh, over the last couple of decades, um, the consultants at McKinsey tend to get more and more specialized uh, and have narrow, narrow focus. They've been kind of forced to do that. Um, some independent consultants can survive and do okay as generalists, mm-hmm. but the most successful independent consultants that I've seen really pick a focus area and then invest in building their thought leadership and their reputation around that specific area. Um, you need someone to be able to remember six months from now, if they meet you at a party, that you know, what it is that you do, that you focus on inventory management for manufacturing companies, mm-hmm. or that you focus on you know e- consulting to e-commerce software companies, or, or that you focus on the membership economy like Robbie Kelman Baxter. Um, you need to have a focus area in order to build any kind of memory. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So um, it's interesting to hear that you've had the same experience. Um, what It's a good segue too. So you, you talked about um, building IP and building awareness. What are the, I mean, is it usual suspects? You know, what are folks doing, writing books, speaking at conferences? Um, but I'm curious if there are other maybe more modern approaches that people are finding successful or, you know, is it, is it really the old standbys? Well, I, people take a variety of approaches. So some people do nothing. And I think that's a mistake. Um, some people do write books. Uh, you know, I think Kaihan Krippendorf has, I don't know, four books last time I checked and he's really built up a, a great reputation, uh, you know, as a strategist, Robbie Kelvin Baxter, I mentioned the membership economy, uh, some folks take take that approach. That is a big investment of time and yes. energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say other approaches that for sort of ordinary mortals uh, who you know aren't don't feel up to writing a, writing a book. Um, certainly, I mean, start with posting on LinkedIn. You know, uh, Michael Ryan, I recently interviewed for my podcast. He has been posting on LinkedIn every day about inventory management <laughs> every day, yeah. and. You do that for one day, you don't get much effect. One week, not much effect. But if you do that for six months and you keep going, people start to pay attention and to find you. And he's starting to you know, source projects by people finding him on LinkedIn who need help on inventory management. Um, so you know, just doing posts on LinkedIn. Uh, Rick Watson posting about e-commerce every day on LinkedIn. So uh, LinkedIn posting is, is popular. Um, a lot of people uh, uh, have a newsletter. And I think that's a great place to start for someone who doesn't necessarily feel up to writing big, long articles, mm-hmm. it's you can send out a newsletter to uh, people that you know. Uh, it doesn't have to be even all original content. It could be some original content, a few thoughts, but then you can say, hey, uh, here are 10 articles that I thought were interesting this past month. Uh, you know, Just pick your industry, pick your focus area. Let's say you're interested in pet food and that you want to serve the pet food industry. Great. Here was 10 articles about emerging trends in pet food. By the way, you know, here's the upcoming conferences in the world of pet food. Send that out every month to people in your you know, pet food network. And uh, even if they don't open it every time, then six months from now, if they have a need in pet food or know someone who does, they're going to turn to you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I've I've seen the same thing on Twitter. I can name a few people like Brian Romley comes to mind who just is constantly tweeting about uh, uh, voice computing. So like, uh, you know, Google Home and uh, Alexa and Siri, those sorts of things. Um, and he, he's just like branded into my brain as the voice computing guy, you know. Yeah. So if some if anyone came to me and said, hey, we're looking for somebody that, you know, specialized in it is he's going to pop to 
top of mind instantaneously. Yeah, you you got to stay top of mind, Jonathan. And unfortunately, most of us are forgetful. So you got to keep reminding people that you exist. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a broken record on this one, but my favorite uh, uh, sort of thought leadership and, and uh, mechanism or channel is what you're doing is having a podcast. Because mm-hmm. I think it's just a trifecta. You know, with one investment of time, you build a relationship with someone that you'd like to get to know, right? Number mm-hmm. one, you build a relationship. Number two, you um, learn something about your industry. And number three, uh, that person that you interviewed may even publicize the, you know, the, the show. So you're getting known by their network. So, you know, for, I, I just, I think it's almost a no brainer that a lot of people should seriously think about having a podcast because, you know, even if no one actually downloads and listens to your show, it gives you a reason to reach out to leaders in your industry, the clients that you'd like to serve, uh, and find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Preaching to the choir. I couldn't agree more. I think podcasting is the, it's, 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 it's like you said, it's a trifecta. It does, it ticks all of these boxes. Even if nobody listens, it's good, you know, because if nothing else, you're interviewing people in the, uh, in the area that you're trying to help. So you're going to get to know them better. And it's so much easier to, you know, say you use LinkedIn in combination with this, you know, you're posting every day on LinkedIn about a subject, you're connecting with people who are perhaps interested in that, or they're connecting with you and you go through periodically and you can just ask someone, DM them and say, Hey, you know, I'd love to have you on my show. I noticed on your profile that, you know, you're related to this topic. This is something I'm super passionate about. You know, would you have half an hour to jump on Skype or zoom and, and just have a quick call I feel like the odds of people saying yes to that. In fact, I know from evidence that, that the odds of someone saying yes to that are way higher than reaching out to them and saying, Hey, could I pick your brain for 30 minutes? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll give the example of my 14-year-old son, right? He's a big fan of Rick Riordan, uh, the author of the Percy Jackson series. And this September, he started a podcast called The Half-Blood Report about the whole world of Rick Riordan. He's a 14 years old, freshman <laughs> in high school. And he and his uh, co-host have so far not just published episodes, but they've had a chance to interview three of the authors published by Rick Riordan's imprint, right? <laughs> and, you know, when I was in high school, freshman in high school, you know, I loved reading, but I didn't, you know, have any kind of mechanism to actually interview the authors that I loved reading. Right. And it just gives you that platform to, um, you know, to reach out to people and have a have a conversation because you're giving them something. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and uh, listeners, thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, if there, yeah, if there are listeners, then fabulous. Yes, <laughs> bonus we points. Hope that, we hope there is not zero listeners, but so yes. thank you for listening. Right, exactly. Um, great. Well, uh, we're running a little long on time here. So I'm wondering if you could tell people where they could find out more about you and Umbrex, if they're interested in finding out more about, more about that, where should they go? Sure. So to learn more about Umbrex, you can visit umbrex.com. That's U-M-B-R-E-X.com. Right there, there's a link. Just click on the Unleashed tab so you can, you can find my show, um, which is um, Unleashed, How to Thrive as an Independent Professional. And if you want to con- uh, connect with me, uh, if you search for Will Bachman on LinkedIn, that's B-A-C-H-M-A-N, uh, I'm sure to pop up uh, in your results. And I'm happy to connect with any listeners of your show, Jonathan. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Will. I'm sure everyone's going to find this super helpful. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, that's it for this time on Ditching Hourly. Hope you join us again next time. Bye. 
Would you like to learn how to get paid what you're worth? How about selling your expertise and not your labor? We work through all of this together in the pricing seminar. Pre-registration starts soon, and you can sign up to be among the first to know when early bird pricing is announced at thepricingseminar.com. That URL again is thepricingseminar.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time. Or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.